section, chapters 36 to 39, is what I'm going to be speaking from tonight. And it's like a bridge because it's not a prophecy in, in, like the rest of Isaiah. It's history. You can find the very same account in uh, 2 Kings 18. You can find the same account in Chronicles. And it deals with Hezekiah. Isaiah, you know, prophesied um, during the reigns of four kings. And one of the kings was Hezekiah. The other was Uzziah. You remember when he had that amazing revelation and calling to be a prophet was in the year that King Uzziah died. There was Jotham, there was Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And just to set the scene, um, because there's it's quite long chapters, we're not going to read it all. But I want to ask you a question how you would respond. Hezekiah uh, is a good king. We can read about how good he is from the uh, two kings introduction. You know the book of Kings, if you've ever plowed through them. He was a good king, and he wasn't a good king. and he was, But Hezekiah was one of the good ones. So could we have that reading? It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him amongst all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So, pretty good king. He faced three particular challenges in his lifetime that Isaiah describes in his prophecy. And the first was the threat of Assyria. It was a time when the, uh, the powers, the superpowers that be, uh, were exerting their control. And Assyria had already invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, taken it all, taken the people into slavery, sent them to all parts of their empire. The king of Assyria had already taken 46 cities within Judea. And he comes toward Jerusalem. And he threatens Hezekiah. Do you think Hezekiah would find it easy to trust in the Lord at that moment or not? We'll find out. The other thing that happens to Hezekiah is he's struck down with a fatal illness. We're not told exactly what it was. Uh, Isaiah the prophet turns up and in his prophetic way, because he's not a pastor, he turns up and says, uh, Hezekiah, you're going to die. That was his bedside manner. And it devastates Hezekiah. And all of us can relate to that in one way or another. Would you find it easy to trust the Lord in that situation? And then the third situation that's described is slightly different because friends from Babylon come to Hezekiah and they flatter him. So you've been a great friend to us, Hezekiah. Do you mind if we see your temple and your palace and your treasury and your armory? And Hezekiah says... Oh, of course you can. Come and see everything. See everything that we have. See all our treasures. See all our defenses. 
one of those three incidents, Hezekiah doesn't trust the Lord in. And it's interesting that he doesn't trust the Lord in the one that seems the easiest to deal with. For a moment, everything's gone well. His so-called friends from Babylon have come. And he forgets to consult the Lord. He forgets to consult the prophet Isaiah. In the other times, as we'll see, he does, he turns. So we're going to look at those things and just challenge ourselves with this question of what or who are we trusting God with right now? The big and the small things What are we trusting God with right now? These chapters come as a bit of a shock after 35. David Sylvester, bless him, he came and spoke about chapter 35, which is a glorious chapter. It's one of those chapters you just, ah, just stay in chapter 35. Because it was a vision that Isaiah had of, of the sort of the coming king that would bring righteousness and justice to the whole earth. And it was just wonderful and There was the glory of the Lord and a vision of everlasting joy. And you want to stay in 35, but you go on to 36 and you're jolted back, brought back down to earth with a bump. And the question that is asked of him in the first story or scenario is actually a question put by the Assyrians. Have we got the reading from chapter 36? So the Assyrians have come invading. They've invaded the north. They've taken the north. They've invaded most of the cities around Jerusalem. Now they're at the gates almost of Jerusalem. And the king of Assyria sends his commander in and says, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Because Hezekiah sought the Lord. He prayed. He sought the prophet Isaiah. And he was obedient. So the enemy at the gates... The tactic of the enemy, if you read it through in those chapters, is interesting because they start speaking not only to the king, Hezekiah, but to everybody. They speak in Hebrew, not Aramaic. Aramaic was the diplomatic language. If they'd spoken in Aramaic, it would only been the, the envoys of Hezekiah who would have understood. The normal people, average people, wouldn't have understood. But they s- shout it out, you're all going to die unless you surrender. On whom are you depending? And that's a question is asked again and again with good reason for our response to that will determine the whole shape of our lives. Who are we trusting in? So the enemy is at the gates. Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, is determined to make Hezekiah pay because he has taken an anti-Syrian stance continuously. And with an air of arrogance, he sends his envoys with this message, surrender or else. And there's a lot of taunting going on and scoffing. Your God can't save you. 
None of the gods of the surrounding nations have saved them. Who are you trusting in? They even say, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find 2,000 people to ride them. And this taunting goes on. 46 cities taken. There is an air of invincibility about the Assyrians. Over 200,000 citizens have been taken as slaves from the northern kingdom. And Hezekiah is in Jerusalem, almost like a bird in a cage. And there there have been um, discovered archaeological discoveries of stone reliefs depicting Sennacherib's advance toward Jerusalem. He had, you know, big things made out of stone just depicting how glorious he was. In a way, this is Hezekiah's greatest moment. This great king. He turns to the Lord. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. And we're going to read a prayer that he prays in chapter 37, verse 14. As he turns to the Lord, the Lord's prophet, and he turns to prayer. So can we have 37, verse 14? So he's received this letter from the envoys, from the messengers. So Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord. And he actually took the letter and he spreads it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only of wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. What a prayer. If you want a model prayer when you're in a tight corner and when something's coming against you, hold on to that one. He spreads out before God all that's going on. The very letter that he has received. He spreads it out before the Lord. We might say, well, the Lord already knew it anyway. But he just spreads it out. And he lifts up his hands and his heart to the Lord and says, God, you are God. I can't do anything about this. But you can. And in an astonishing turnaround, God acts. We're going to read from the prophet his response. It's from verse 33 to 38 in chapter 37. Have we got that out? So Isaiah, the prophet, brings what God says. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city Or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. 
Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And one day while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adramalek and Sharazah, killed him with the sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Eshiadon, his son, succeeded him as king. Remember the reliefs that he had made of all his successes. I imagine he already had ordered the one for Jerusalem. Get the stone carvers working, you know, put the temple there, how it's going to be demolished by me. He had made himself to be a god, this king. And in this astonishing turnaround, Hezekiah sees the victory of the Lord. An angel of the Lord put to death 85,000 Assyrians. The historians who look on this chapter of history believe that there was a sickness such as septicemia hit the whole camp, wiped out the whole army. I don't know how God did it. But Jerusalem was spared. And all Hezekiah had to do at that time, immense pressure upon him, was to stand in his faith, to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. As we read, Sennacherib eventually died at the hands of his own children. When armies come against us, who are we going to trust? The second story is a personal story. And sometimes it can be even harder to trust God in these times. Hezekiah is struck down with a sickness, an illness. Have we got 38 verses 1 to 6? You're a star. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and it was the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Just let that sink in for a moment. How would you have felt? You might have felt, well, the the prophet said that. The prophet has said that. And he, he hears from God. But Hezekiah, he falls on his face. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember the eloquent prayer that he prayed when the Assyrians were at the door. This is slightly different. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah just wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. 
I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back ten steps. It has gone down on the stairway. So the sunlight went back ten steps. It had gone down. This is the other challenge that Hezekiah faces. He's been struck down with a terrible sickness. And the prophet himself has said, you're going to die. But he just turns to the wall. He turns to God and he just, he weeps. And the basis of his prayer is really, remember me, God. I need you. Help me. It's kind of the emergency break glass prayer. It's not a time for a long, eloquent prayer. It's a God. What? But the key things are this. He goes to God. He shares his heart with God. He pours out his heart to the Lord. And we didn't have time to read that all, but he also gets medical help. The prophet puts a poultice on him. And Isaiah hears another word from the Lord. He is going to get another 15 years. You're not going to die right now. I'm going to give you another 15 years. How do we respond when sickness hits us or our families or our loved ones? It can be the hardest times to trust God. I think we can learn from Hezekiah that we just throw ourselves upon the Lord. We trust in him. And if there is someone that you know who is sick, that you see the person and not the sickness... And you love and offer support, but you don't play God. And you don't play doctor unless you are the doctor. Our task is to offer love and support. And to remind ourselves that we don't fear death. And God even gives him a sign. Incredible sign. You know, imagine the the shadow. I mean, I've got a shadow here. If I were to walk all these steps down, he says, I'll make that shadow go down the other way. Just as a sign. And the shadow goes down. (laughs) That is amazing, isn't it? In both cases, however, it was only a reprieve. Hezekiah will go on to die. And actually, Jerusalem will fall, but not in Hezekiah's lifetime. Those extra 15 years allows him to see the defeat of the Assyrians. The third challenge that comes is when visitors from Babylon come. And when you read the story of the visitors from Babylon, you think, well, there's nothing really challenging here. And I think this is the crucial bit of the message that actually sometimes when everything's going okay, that's when we can stop trusting. Maybe in the other times we just, we have nowhere else to go, but we throw ourselves on the Lord. But the envoys from Babylon come and they flatter 
Hezekiah and say, oh, you're such a great king. You've stood with us against the Assyrians. And Hezekiah was a good king, without a doubt. He destroyed all the pagan altars and the Asherahs and all those things. But he was flawed. There's no human being except of Jesus who is not flawed. But he should have known better. And he should have inquired of the Lord because what Isaiah knows is that it's the Babylon and the Babylonians who will come and defeat Jerusalem. They will raise it to the ground. It's the Babylonians. The ones Hezekiah has shown all our temple, all our armory, all our treasures. Just come, see them all. Isaiah the prophet saw that Babylon was not an ally but an enemy. And it's at this one that Hezekiah stumbles on. And Isaiah tells him that although it won't happen in his lifetime, the kingdom will fall. And what legacy does Hezekiah leave? His son Manasseh reverts back to all the idols and the pagans and plunges Judah back into incredible darkness and then the judgment will come. Perhaps Hezekiah didn't feel it was a serious situation. It just caught him off guard. It's not one of the things you need to take to God, is it? Perhaps he saw the future security with human alliances and forgot to inquire of the Lord. He is reprimanded by the prophet for his lack of trust in God. Whatever we put our trust in, instead of God himself, will eventually turn on us and destroy us. I know that sounds serious, but if we put something other than God, if we're trusting something other than God, it will not help us. In fact, it will destroy us. And so just with the question that I began with, this question of trust, who will we trust in? Maybe this evening you can relate to the army besieging and you... You've just laid it all out before the Lord and you're saying, I'm going to trust God in this. Maybe you're going through sickness or you know someone who is going through sickness and I would encourage you to keep on trusting. Keep on trusting the Lord that he will work his plan and purpose out in that. Don't give up. But maybe the most vulnerable of us tonight are the ones who are saying, well, actually everything's okay. Things are going really brilliant right now. And maybe then that's the temptation to take our eyes off the Lord. Who will we trust in? When things get tough, where will we go? We'll take it on an international level. We've been praing for Asiya Bibi, 
and we look around our world and it makes us long for the days of chapter 35 when the coming king comes and all will be restored in righteousness and justice and Jesus will come. But we're not in that moment now and maybe now is the time we just have to dig in and trust God. Maybe there are tough days ahead. Maybe there's tough days ahead for us as a nation. The church needs to be praying, crying out to God. Maybe there's tough days for us individually. We need to trust. But in it all, we can trust God to work his purposes out. As we look for the return of King Jesus, the Lord of glory himself. Let's pray together.